pray, church. God, we love you. We praise you for your goodness. We praise you that you are a God who is for us and who is with us. We praise you for uh, living in the United States of America, God. We pray blessing over our country. We pray blessing over the leaders of our country. We pray that we can be a church who brings your kingdom here to Mount Pulaski, here to this community, in love and in mercy and in righteousness. God, we ask that your spirit would move in us to change us, to love more like you, to live more like you. And we pray that we, uh, we glorify you in everything that we do. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, everybody. Well, happy 4th of July, everybody. Happy 4th of July. I love the 4th of July. I watched the fireworks here in town last night. I'm going to a cookout later today. I'm going to watch the fireworks in Lincoln, so double whammy of fireworks. This is good. I love it. I'm excited, but I'm also excited about the fact that this year, we get to celebrate on Sunday, and we get to gather together as the church and recognize that Jesus alone is king and he is the one that we worship. And in light of the freedom that we have in Christ, we go out and we celebrate the freedom that we have when we call the United States home. I'm, I'm thankful for that this year. I'm also thankful that we've been going through the New Testament together as a church. It's been so good. If you've been following along with the reading plan, it's been so good to dive into the word of God in this way. And over the last several weeks, we've been reading through the book of Romans. We've been reading through the book of Romans, and we've been preaching through the book of Romans. Now, Romans is a really famous book of the Bible. It's one that a lot of people know, and for good reason. It's the first epistle. It's the first letter that we have in the Bible. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then we have Romans. It's the first letter. It's the first book that we have written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and it's written to the Romans, which, I mean, it's in the title. But Romans is famous, one, for its theology, two, because it's a hope-filled book. Think about all the one-liners that you and I are probably pretty familiar with from the book of Romans. Say them out loud with me if you know them. I'm going to start just reading some, some of the one-liners from Romans. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the... Yes, for the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Romans 6.23. Romans 8.31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Yes, and we have a one-liner from this week's reading. This is Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yeah, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And these one-liners are so good. They give us hope. They bring us joy. They bring us peace. They show us Jesus. They're great to put on t-shirts. They're great to put on coffee mugs. They're great to put on bumper stickers. But the reality is, is as we mature as Christians, as we mature in our faith, we can't just leave them as one-liners. We have to understand them in the context of the grand story of Scripture. We have to understand them in the context of the books from which they were taken, specifically Romans in this case, and even in the historical context. Because when we do that, when we understand the fullness of what is being said in these one lines, 
Jesus is revealed to us in more rich and full ways. And we're challenged in maybe more challenging ways. But here's what I mean. We can't leave these one-liners as one-liners because if we do, then we just don't grasp the fullness of these verses. Romans 12.1 was a verse that I heard all the time growing up. I don't know if this was just my church or if this is like a universal Christian experience, but I heard, therefore, brothers and sisters, offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. I heard this all the time. This is your spiritual act of worship. I heard it in Sunday school. I heard it in church camp. I heard it in youth group. I heard it from the stage. And here's what that meant to me. That meant that as I'm cooking dinner, I'm offering myself as a living sacrifice and worshiping by making dinner. Okay, so that's what I thought. I would think, uh, believe it or not, I I used to deer hunt. I would hunt with my family, uh, and as, you know, as a little little Colin was, I'm up at the crack of dawn. It's December. It's Iowa. It's cold. It's it's freezing cold, so we're putting on like 12 layers of clothes to go outside, and as we're marching through the the snow in the dark, and we're climbing up into the tree, and as I'm sitting in the tree for hours in December, freezing to death, I'm, I'm convulsing, right? And I'm like, this is my spiritual act of worship. Like, this is, that's what I thought this verse meant. <laughs> but as we dive into the scriptures, we quickly realize that Paul means so much more by this verse than what we often give it credit for. Now, what I'm not saying is that those things are bad. We ought to be attentive to the Lord in absolutely everything that we're doing, whether that be deer hunting, sitting in a tree stand, seeing God in nature, whether that be cooking dinner, whether that be just spending time with friends and family. We ought to devote everything we have to the Lord. So yes, that is true and that is good. But Paul means so much more than this. We have to understand the context from which this one-liner taken. The first thing that we have to look at is the historical context. Why is Paul writing this? Who is Paul writing this to? He's writing it to the church in Rome. And as I study the church in Rome, I start to notice a lot of parallels between the church in Rome's situation and our situation here today. And I'm not going to say that history repeats itself, but it certainly rhymes. The church in Rome was in Rome And Rome was a huge city. I mean, at this point, it's a million people. And that's big by today's standards. But back then, this is a gargantuan city. So the church is, you know, and all of these little houses scattered across Rome. And they are dealing with all kinds of things. One, the Roman Empire is a political hotshot. They know they're powerful. Paul's writing to that. Uh, The people in Rome, the church in Rome, is under the authority and the leadership of some crazy politicians. I know we have some crazy things going on in politics today, but friends, we're talking about Emperor Nero. We're talking about Emperor Caligula. These people were back crazy. So when I read Paul talk about governing authorities, sometimes I brush him off and I'm like, you have no idea what we're going through. Yeah, they did. Caligula was nuts. And Paul is writing to the church who is under the authority of Caligula and Nero, these wild, wild people. They're dealing with tensions between the church members. You've got to remember, a lot of these Jews are just becoming Christians. There's a lot of fresh Christians in this church, right? So we've got Jews and we've got Gentiles, and they're at odds with each other in the Roman church. 
And so quite literally, you see this theme of racial reconciliation strung all the way through Romans between Jews and Gentiles. And I say it again, history rhymes, doesn't it? The context for the church in Rome is very similar to a context in which we find ourselves today. And so it's with this context that Paul is writing to the Romans, and Paul is writing to us. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, I urge you, in light of God's mercy, offer yourselves as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Paul writes it to them then, and it certainly is meaningful to us today. But Paul starts, therefore, and every time we see a therefore in Scripture, we better be asking, what's the therefore, therefore? We, we know that this is in response to things that have been written before this verse. So therefore, what has Paul been talking about up until now? Well, we just got to chapter 12. There's 16 chapters in the book of Romans, which means, if you can do uh, quick math, we're three-fourths of the way through the book. And for three-fourths of this letter, Paul has been writing about really cerebral things, really heady things. He's been asking the people, the, the church of Rome, to contemplate history. He's been asking them to consider theology. He's been asking them to sit and ponder the mystery that is Jesus and justification, and the flesh, and sin, and righteousness. He has them doing a lot of thinking. And then he says, therefore, because of all of this thinking with your mind, you do. And I think it's worth noting how much of his letter he devotes to thinking and how much he devotes to doing. One of the greatest uh, qualities, I, I think, of our culture is we are a productive culture. We do, as Americans, we do, 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 do. And that's amazing. But we might do good to follow in the footsteps of Paul's example and be with the Lord for more time than we do. To think about the Lord and the mysteries that is Jesus, God in flesh. To think, to consider, to ponder the truths of sin and reconciliation and justice and mercy faithfulness. We have to be a thoughtful people. And I'm not talking about just the academics in the room. I'm talking about each and every one of us. Take time to think about theology. Take time to think about the truths of God, to ponder them, to be with the Lord. Take time to do this. But Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, hear his tone. He says, I urge you. But when you look at the root, the Greek, what he's saying is, therefore, brothers and sisters, listen. He's saying, get with the program. Listen to me. It's a really snappy word. It's a word that calls people out. And he's saying, church, listen up, because this is important. And we just translate it, I urge you. <laughs> no, he's like, listen up, church. Listen up. In view of God's mercies, in view of God's mercies, we skim over that part so easily. In first service, I actually jumped right over and went to my next point, but we can't miss this. In view of God's mercies, Paul, for the last 11 chapters, has been talking about the mercies of God. And when he says the mercies, in view of God's mercies, he means God's mercies to the fullest extent of the word. 
This word has connotations of the love of God, of the compassion of God. In fact, it's translated as such in different places in Scripture. The mercy is in view of God's love and of his compassion, in view of the fact that Jesus came to earth, God in flesh, in view of the fact that Jesus died for each and every one of us, in view of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and lives on as our living hope, in view of the fact that God has given us the Holy Spirit as a gift, in view of the fact that when all seemed to be going wrong, God did not leave us, in view of the fact that when we were lonely or in isolation during quarantine, God never left us, in view of the fact that when all things in our family start to feel like they're crumbling, God was constant. In view of the fact that God is with us and is Emmanuel, in view of God's mercies to the fullest extent of the word, do this. It's worth mentioning that when Paul talks about salvation, in view of God's salvation, he's not talking about, in view of the fact that you're now into heaven. We're, we're guilty of that, aren't we? We look at salvation as this inner-out type, type thing. Are you in heaven? Are you out? But Paul, as we get to this point in the letter, has made it really clear. Yes, that's part of salvation, but the salvation of God changes everything here and now. He talks a lot about the flesh. He talks a lot about the body, and what he's saying to us is salvation, heaven comes to earth here and now through us, and he uses us his church, to bring heaven to earth in a really tangible way. In view of God's mercy, offer yourselves, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. What an oxymoron, right? A living sacrifice? I mean, we hear sacrifice, and what my mind typically goes to is sacrifice of time, of energy. These things are all true sacrifices, but think again about the historical context. Paul is writing to a people who are used to a sacrificial system of religion. They're used to sacrifice being putting the dead animal or putting the animal on the altar and killing it. And Paul says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Because when we do this, salvation begins here and now. We're offering our flesh, our bodies, our time, our energy, our talents. We sacrifice it all. We sacrifice the good. We sacrifice the bad. Maybe over the last year, you've developed some habits that you're not proud of. Sacrifice them. All of them. Get rid of them. Sacrifice the flesh. Maybe God has blessed you abundantly with talent sacrifice that talent and offer it to the Lord. Because Paul tells us when we do this, when we die to ourselves, when we sacrifice ourselves as a living sacrifice, Christ brings life. Christ brings goodness. We become like Christ in his sacrifice. We become little Christs. We become Christians. Did you know that that's what that word means, Christians? In the Greek, literally means little Christs. That's what we're called, each and every one of us, when we sacrifice our bodies as a living sacrifice, become like Christ. Therefore, 
Brothers and sisters, I urge you, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your true and proper worship. Are you guys ready for a Greek lesson? I know, it's early. You didn't ask for this. You're like, no, I don't want to learn Greek. Well, we're going to. It's going to be fun. This is your true and proper worship. True and proper. Everybody say, logokane. Logokane. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like logic, right? Our word logic. Paul is saying this is your logical worship. When we consider all that God has done for us, when we consider all the love and compassion and mercy that he has shown us in Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, the only logical thing, the only rational thing, the only true and proper thing, the only spiritual thing to do is to worship. There are no other options because either you're in Christ or you're out. And when you experience Jesus, the natural, logical response is to worship. Here's some more Greek for you. You're going to be fluent by the time we leave. Say latreon. This is the word latreon that gets translated worship here. This is your true and proper and logical latreon. But latreon's interesting because typically when we think of worship, we think of singing, of dedicating our devotion and our allegiance to God. These are the things that we think of in worship. But that word typically is translated from a Greek word called proskuneo, and proskuneo is not latreon. And so when you hear Paul say this, don't think I'm bowing down to God, but rather I'm doing service to God. Because latreon is a word that's used in a lot of civic circles. We have records of documentation from antiquity of latreon being used with things like the building of bridges in cities, of building aqueducts, civic service. But Paul says this service of laying down our lives and offering it, this service is in fact a way to worship and honor and glorify God. But here's what this means. We we worship by doing. It's an action verb. It's an action verb. We've talked about sacrifice. Sacrifice is so difficult. It's so hard. It's not easy. But when we sacrifice ourselves, the natural, logical, rational response is to worship by doing and this is where context matters. Again, we know the context of history for this passage. We know the context of what came before. But gosh, when I was growing up and everybody kept drilling this verse into my head, I wish they had told me to keep reading the book of Romans because he tells us what this worship looks like. And friends, it's convicting. If I'm being totally honest with you, when I was reading this passage, I said, good heavens. Are you sure, Paul? Paul? Are you sure? Because I don't know about this. So I'm going to let him preach to us. I'm going to read chapter 12. And hear these as our act of spiritual worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, 
in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each and every one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's tough. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Do you hear all these actions? Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in light of everything that Jesus has done for you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to do these things, these difficult, hard things, which is your only logical response in worship to serve others sacrificially. Oh, it's so hard to offer ourselves as sacrifices. Putting this into context of today, what Paul is saying Brothers and sisters, in light of what God has done for you, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And when that person who sits on the other side of the aisle politically than you is interacting with you, serve them in love. For this is your spiritual, your true, your logical act of worship. Oh, that steps on my toes. When your family is not treating you as they should, love them well. Love them as Christ loves them. For this is your true act of worship, your logical act of worship. When somebody comes through these doors that we've never met, instead of saying, who is that? Introduce yourselves, church. Say hello. Invite them to sit with us. Invite them to lunch and to your homes. Practice hospitality. For this is your logical act of worship. When your neighbor, who literally lives one door down from you, is in need of help, help them. In view of everything that Jesus has done and everything that, in view of everything that God has done for us, serve them. For this is your logical act of worship. It's tough. It's hard. It's sacrificial. Sacrifice 
is not an easy thing. Not at all. But we know that this is possible. We know that the sacrifice is possible because we look to the one who sacrificed himself for us as a living sacrifice. Jesus, the Messiah. We look to Jesus, who was the living sacrifice, who paved a way for us to become living sacrifices ourselves as little Christs, as Christians. And we look to Christ to help us to be the people that he has designed us to be. We look to Christ at the table. A table where we serve one another in theory. That's the idea behind communion. We serve one another and we eat together and we commune together. We do for one another. We see Christ at the table. We take communion. We remember that Jesus died was buried, rose again, lives on as our king, and has gifted us with the Holy Spirit. Those are the things that we remember at the table. We're going to give up our offerings as an act of worship, sacrificial worship. We're going to do these things because just as Paul wrote to the Church of Rome so many years ago, we here today, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of everything that God has done, in view of all of God's mercies, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice here in Mount Pulaski in Logan County. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice because this is your true and proper form of worship. Let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you for, for Jesus. We praise you for your word that you have, have left us. We praise you that we can be challenged in these ways. And God, as we're challenged, would we be helped by your Holy Spirit to live out what you've called us to live, to bring heaven to earth here and now? God, we're excited to be a part of your family. We praise you for all that you've done for us, for all of your mercies, for all of the ways that you have been steadfast and Emmanuel in our own lives. And God, as we leave this place, would you help us to have this mind amongst ourselves that we would go out into the world and proclaim your goodness and your righteousness and your hope to a world that so desperately needs it. God, we offer this last song to you. We offer our prayers and ourselves. Everything that we are, we offer to you. Sacrificially, as a living sacrifice. And we look towards you, Jesus to show us the way. It's in the name of Jesus, our Lord, our King, the one we love, we pray these things. Amen.